if you would, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this class, and um, just ask that you would uh, uh, guide our conversation this evening. Uh, help me to communicate faithfully um, the truths of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we, we have that that fun conversation to talk about church membership. Boy, doesn't that sound exciting. You know, it's one of those things. Have you ever done a Bible study on church membership? I'll bet you, you just haven't, right? It's just not a commonly studied thing. Um, but let me suggest that it's, it's actually far more interesting and even more important than we often think of when we think of church membership. But let me start with kind of a, a sketch of something you may have encountered yourself or maybe it might be you at some point in your life. A couple or a person begins attending a local church. Uh, they enjoy the music. They, they like the sermons just fine. And uh, after a while, someone talks to them about formalizing their affiliation with the church by becoming a member. They either politely decline or become squeamishly uncomfortable. Ever kind of seen that happen before? You might wonder, why, why does that happen? Why do, why do people feel so um, uncomfortable with topics like membership? Um, they desire to attend a church. They even want to participate. But though they attend and though they participate, the idea of becoming a member, it's rather put-offish to them. Now, part of that might be the commitment phobia of our culture, that's radically affected the way that, that people think about their church involvement. Um, you know, it's kind of like the modern man that has no interest in the restrictions of a, of, of a marriage. Uh, why just commitment to one woman is kind of the mentality. I mean, you know, so that, that they don't want to have that commitment sort of thing. And we carry that over, even though we're believers and we believe in marriage, we carry that commitment phobia into a lot of areas of our life. That's possibly where some of the blame belongs. Uh, the rest of it, I might suggest, some of it belongs at the door of local churches um, for a variety of reasons, one of which churches have done very little teaching on membership. Um, we, we, we don't talk about what does the Bible say about it, the biblical reasons for it, the benefits, the commitments. Uh, they've been largely absent. Um, we, we generally, as churches in America, function in the American mar marketing concept. We treat people like consumers. And, and as consumers, you know, we rig up various props and programs designed to entice them in to begin with, attract them, and then to keep them coming back. And as long as we keep them coming back through these various mechanisms, and we're good. So the, the job of commitment is entirely upon the church and not upon anybody attending. They, they decide whether they're entertained enough, whether they're fed enough, whether they're whatever, fill in the blank, right? And that's how they decide wh whether they're going there. Um, are there biblical reasons for emphasizing membership in the local church? Why is it better to be a member than simply a regular attender if it is better? Especially if membership involves further obligation. I mean, why would I want to become a member if that means I actually have to be obligated to more? What does it mean to be a member? What is it that potential members are asked to commit themselves to? How are members asked to live out that commitment in practical ways? So these are kind of some of the questions we're going to look at, address, think about tonight. Um, is church membership biblical? I just kind of want to start with that foundational question because the, 
what I have to work against is, in teaching this subject for most people is that we start with a baseline assumption. Church membership isn't biblical. They didn't have membership in the New Testament. That's kind of a baseline assumption that I would say probably 70-80% of Christians have when they walk in the door of churches. And I want to challenge that just a bit with you tonight. Uh, what is it that I join when I join a local church? Well, back in Lesson 1 we talked about the fact that the church is a local gathering of believers who are joined together in love as family, worshiping together, serving one another, representing Christ to the world. And we explored that definition. So, church membership is, is, for mem- is for believers only, right? That's what church membership is for. It's not simply for anyone who attends. There are a lot of people who attend on a Sunday. Last Sunday on Easter, we had even more that attended. But we can never assume that everybody who attends is a believer. They, not everybody who attends is a member. You can't just say, well, membership, I'm a member here if I attend here regularly. Oh, no, we've had one fellow who attended here for five years straight, but I knew quite fully that he was an unbeliever. He attended for other reasons, but he did not profess to believe in Christ. And so I, what, what, if we were to say that, well, those who attend are members, we'd have to ask him to leave. But we don't want him to leave. We want him to hear the gospel, right? So, so how, do you, how do you draw that, that line? Um, I would suggest there's actually a biblical background for church membership. Now, we don't have indisputable proof text for local church membership, but we do find passages that imply formal membership in local assemblies. And let's talk about some of those. One, Paul speaks of formal exclusion of the sinner at Corinth. And if you have formal exclusion, if he, if he says that, you to formally exclude this person, that means that at some level you've had to formally include him. You can't f- exclude somebody who's never been included. He exhorts the Corinthian church to remove a brother from their ranks who was sinning in a way that was not even approved by or accepted by pagans. And we read of this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, you've become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I uh, to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those outside God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So you have outsiders and insiders. You have those that, that are apart and those that are not apart. Those that, are, that Paul or other church leaders had responsibility to make decisions about. But as Paul said, it's not my job to make a decision to discern, to judge someone who's outside the church. Now, if, if someone who is unsaved or newly saved comes through our doors, at what point are they within? I mean, that man I mentioned earlier came for five years. Was he suddenly within because he had attended for, what, six months, a year? At what point does he become within? Or is it just that they show up? Must there not be something more formal than showing up that says a person is a member of a church? Paul's calling for the exclusion of this immoral brother, which means 
that there had to be some sort of presupposed inclusion. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, we read the following. And Paul is now encouraging them to receive somebody back into fellowship that had previously been uh, excluded from fellowship. So, he says, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise such one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So you had somebody who was excluded, whether it was the guy in 1 Corinthians or somebody else, we don't know for certain, but somebody who had been excluded, who's now repented, who Paul has then received them back in. But note the language he uses when he says the punishment, that was their exclusion, that was inflicted by the majority. Now majority means more than half. In order to have a majority, you have to have some presupposed count of who's able to say something. And a majority of who? Just anybody who happened to show up? Maybe some, a bunch of people came down from the local bar and they showed up that night. Are they part of the majority? Do they get to say so in how the church functions? Well, I would say obviously not. And so th- there seems to be some clearly defined group of people of which you could get a count, therefore you could define a majority in order to even have this language in the Scriptures. So that, that's one case that I would put before you. Let me put another case before you. The early church clearly kept lists, written documents, lists. Now, part of the problem we have, and I think the reason why we have this general assumption in our day and age that, uh, that, that, that the early church didn't have membership, I mean, part of it, yes, lack of teaching. The other part, I think, is what I like to call generational arrogance. Now, what I mean by that in this particular case is simply this. Well, we're organized people. We've, we've really evolved in the 21st century. We have all sorts of records. We're really good at keeping track of things. But 2,000 years ago, huh, they probably didn't do. I mean, they're just probably as relaxed about everything as you can imagine. And the idea that they would have record keeping and administration, huh, clearly not. They weren't that evolved. <laughs> well, actually, they're far more evolved, if you will, than we are. <laughs> they were really an organized people. And so, for instance, they, they kept a list we, we find of widows. In 1 Timothy 5.9, Paul refers to a widow's list. And he talks about the requirements that would be laid down for somebody to be allowed to be put on the widow's list. So not only do you have widows in a church, but you have a list from amongst those widows of the ones that qualify to be on the list. Not every widow, not just being a widow got you on the list. There were certain things that had to be accomplished in your life that got you on the list. Okay. Well, if they listed the widows based on the lives they lived, do you think it's possible that they also had a list of the people that were a part of that fellowship and were committed to be a part and, and members thereof? To be on that list for the widows didn't just mean they were in the church, but that they were widows. I mean, not every widow in town was on the widows list, but only those that were a part of the church and, and, and lived a certain life. So be a second thing I'd present, that they, they were quite detailed in their organization and had lists of other things, so why not a list of membership? The third thing I'd present is that the early church uh, was very particular in counting who was in and who was not. So, for instance, in Acts 2, right from the very beginning... In verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, 
if you don't know, if you're not keeping any track, you know, they didn't just say, well, a bunch of people were added that day. No, about 3,000. They actually counted the people. And so we have this record of these people. And day by day, people were being added. They weren't just hanging out, showing up. They were being added to something. In, in Acts 4.4, 4, but many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So now we know how many men there were. The number of men came to be about 5,000. Add women and children, it's uh, you know, obviously much bigger than that. So that would be the third thing I would present. The fourth thing I would present is that God has a membership list. He keeps track. He has a list of believers. And if God has a list of believers... He's infinite and doesn't forget anything. How much more might it seem that we ought to and they would have had a list? So, for instance, uh, Paul writes in Philippians, Indeed, he says, a true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That's Philippians 4, verse 3. And in Revelation 21, we read, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into the new Jerusalem, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, the Lamb's got a book of life. There is this book of life. It's evidently a heavenly thing. Um, and, and I recognize that that could be metaphorical. I mean, I don't know that God's got an actual book with binding and names actually written on paper, I, I, you know. But the picture that's given indicates a mindset amongst those who use the metaphor. In order for this to be a metaphor, at a minimum, right, it had to make sense to them. You can't use a metaphor of something that has no connection to reality. And if the metaphor of a book, a list of those who are believers, existed in heaven in their minds, even in an allegorical way, then certainly it had to have existed on earth in a literal way. Their churches had to have had such a list in order for them to then make the, 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 the transfer of an allegorical book of life. And that, by the way, fits with everything we know from the Bible because, as you may be aware, because it puts you to sleep while you're reading your Old Testament, there is a significant amount of time dedicated to keeping track of who, and, who is what and who is not what. I mean, they wrote names down endlessly, right? I mean, they didn't have computers to track this stuff. But they just, like, go on and on. It's like, that's not even in, you know, like, Word document, right? So it's like, and, and then they're going to have to copy this stuff down. Like, if I'm writing a book like this that you've got to have guys that are going to sit around all day copying them so that there are copies of them, I'm going to, like, you know, can we just reduce this to the minimum? Like, you know, instead of going through all those names, can we say there were a bunch of guys? I mean, that really simplified this a lot to make it a lot easier to copy. But they didn't do that, right? And, and so they had these lists. So a large portion of Scripture is dedicated to tre- keeping track of, of, of who did what, who did not do what, who was a, an Israelite, who was a, uh, a priest. In fact, you, you recall the history of Israel. They, they go to the Promised Land, then they are removed from the Promised Land to Babylon, then they're brought back to the promised land. And during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, those who were priests, they're part of the Levitical family, they're priests, and they're part of you know, the descendants of Aaron. 
if they did not have paper documentation, they could tell you that they were priests, they could tell you their family members, but they, if they did not have paper documentation of their lineage, they weren't allowed to serve as priests. I think they were particular about things, okay? They were very particular about things. And God has always made a clear distinction between his people and the world. Um, part of this is why we have these ceremonial and civil laws in the Old Covenant, distinguishing Israel from the nations surrounding them as a people set apart or holy to the Lord. Um, and such clarity of distinction between God's people and the world argues for clarity and specificity in our membership roles. No, not based on circumcision, not based on the food we eat, but nonetheless, clarity and distinction based on trusting in Christ, faith in Christ, and, and our commitment. So, those are some basic arguments. Are they, are, are they uh, clear and hard evidence that we must have membership? No, they aren't. But I think they challenge our assumption that clearly they didn't have this in the New Testament. I, I don't know that it's very clear that they didn't have this in the New Testament. In fact, I would argue that, that one would have to produce evidence for showing us why they would not have had it in light of what we do have uh, in the Scriptures. Um, so, there you have it. So, what does church membership signify? Well, church membership, from what we do read in the Scriptures, Matthew 18, for instance, and other places, signifies a church's corporate endorsement of a person's salvation. In other words, it's the church saying, Randy Crane has professed Christ. He evidences that he is following Christ in some fashion by faith. He's faithful to Christ. So, Randy is clearly a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, 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 we allow Randy, he's going to be a member of the church. And we as a church would recognize that. Now, the reason we can draw that conclusion, because if Randy leaves here tonight and goes and starts to live a life of, of sin and, and in rebellion against God, and we were to go to Randy and say, hey, Randy, uh, that this isn't acceptable. If he repented, praise God, we've won our brother over. If not, we go with two or three, right? Matthew 18. And if he repents, great. If not, we've won our brother over. If not, we, we, we bring him before the church because we're really determined to rescue him from his sin. Sorry, Randy, you're getting used here. Yeah. So, yeah. And so we're there to, 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 to rescue. But if he refuses to listen even to the church, we treat him as an unbeliever. Now, that does not suggest that we can determine whether he is or is not a believer, whether he is or is not saved. That is not for the church to determine. Okay. But we can affirm whether we are willing to, to affirm that faith, whether we are willing to say that's right. If we get to a point where he's not even willing to listen to the church, then in effect, he's not listening to Christ. And if he's not willing to listen to Christ, we have no basis for giving Randy any deception about his condition before the Lord. And we must tell him that as far as we can tell, he is in threat of eternal damnation. The goal, of course is that he would be saved, that he would repent, that he would turn back. And our hope is that he actually is saved, because if he actually is saved, then he will repent. It may take some time, but like the man in Corinth, he will repent. Clear evidence that he was genuinely saved. And that would be our desire and our goal. Okay. But church membership signifies the church's corporate endorsement of a person's salvation. Um, so if... if, if this is the case, then as part of being a member, we like, we like to hear somebody just share briefly their testimony. 
their faith in Christ. Uh, we'd like to, to hear, well, you know, tell me a little bit about what the gospel is, what it is we have faith in, some basic description of the gospel. Um, when the church approaches membership in this way, membership can function um, as, a, as a means of, of comfort for the individual believer. Because, you know, frankly, most believers at times kind of doubt whether or not they're really following Christ. Am I, am I really living as I should? I mean, do I have genuine faith? I mean, note when Jesus, you know, brings the, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and that, that, you know, when I was in prison, you did this. When I was hungry, you fed me. Naked, you clothed me. Remember that whole account in Matthew 25? Love that story. But those on his right, whom he said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was um, naked, you clothed me, and so forth. You remember their response? Lord, when did we do that? <laughs> you know, I always find that genuine believers are frequently self-doubting. They're just frequently self-doubting. And even on that day, they were self-doubting. What are you talking about? I don't remember doing that for you, Jesus. And he reminds them of when they did it. <clears throat> Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so we typically need some encouragement along the way. And, and, and that can be a means of encouragement. Uh, church membership, secondly, signifies an individual commitment to grasp hold of one another in mutual love and discipleship. It's saying, hey, I'm, I'm with you in this. I'm walking this walk with you. You can count on me. And of course, I can count on you. That's kind of part of the, the equation. By identifying ourselves with a particular church, we let the pastors and other members of that local church know that we intend to be committed in attendance and giving and prayer and service. And we increase others' expectations of us in these areas. We make it known that, that we are the responsibility of this local church, but that this local church is also now in part our responsibility. We assure the church of our commitment to Christ and in, in, in serving with them. We call for their commitment to serve us in love and encourage us in our discipleship. Thirdly, church membership signifies a regular responsibility that involves people in each other's lives for the purpose of the gospel. By joining ourselves with God's people in local church membership, we, we show that we are committed to help and be helped, to encourage and be encouraged, to rebuke and be rebuked. In other words, we show that we want to love God's people and be loved by them. Imagine, you know, marriage vows that said, I'm, I'm, I'm committed as long as they're perfect, but I don't really want any responsibilities laid on me. I mean, I, I like... In the case of a guy, I like how she cooks breakfast and dinner, but I, I really don't want to have any responsibilities that I'm committed to. Well, of course, that wouldn't be marriage, and that wouldn't work. <laughs> and <clears throat> um, that doesn't really work in our church life either. We, we, commitment is mutual. It's, it's, it's joint. We, we, work, we labor together. Okay. And then finally, I just want to talk, uh, what are the requirements of church membership? Um, well, really, the, the first and foremost is repentance, baptism, and belief. I mean, just kind of put those three into one thing. Kind of um, Repentance, baptism, and belief. Repentance is, is, as we talked about this morning, that coming under the Lordship of Christ, saying that Christ is Lord, that I'm, I'm submitted to Christ to follow Him. So this, this book has authority over my life. I, I'm, I'm willing to make decisions in my life based on what I'm instructed in the Word of God. 
I'm going to start adjusting myself to the truth of God as I understand it. Okay? Uh, th- that's vital. Um, <clears throat> and, and faith in Christ, trust in Him. Uh, that His death and resurrection is the ba- only basis of our acquittal, our justification before God. Um, baptism. Baptism is the first way that we are commanded to express our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it, you know, in the early church, when somebody got saved, the first thing they did is said, okay, let's, let's baptize. And so I think it's, though we don't, being a mem- becoming a member here, you don't have to be rebaptized for everybody who's been baptized before. That would be silly. But, but it is important that you have been baptized. And if one hasn't been, we just want to give you an opportunity to be baptized. Um, you know, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've uh, commanded you. Uh, as far as our belief, trust in Christ, we, we have a statement of faith, and uh, that actually isn't in your envelope, but you can go on gccc.net. That's th- G3Cs, Gulf Coast Community Church, right? .net. Now, if you go to .com, you're going to get the Greater Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce, and that won't do you any good. But if you go to .net, you'll find the church website. And in there, I think it's under About, uh, follow the links, uh, you'll f- find you know, what we believe. And I think at the bottom of that page, you click and you get uh, the, 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 uh, the whole document, the whole statement of faith in all its detail. First page just has a sketch of our basic beliefs for the person visiting. They can kind of get an idea of who we are without reading nine pages or whatever it is, five pages of the statement of faith. So that is on the website, easy to access there. Um, and by the way, we, the website got completely revamped. They're still in the process of fixing a few things, but as of this past Monday, I mean, it's really neat what happened to it. So if you haven't, you saw it, didn't you, Leah? Yeah, I, you just kind of accidentally stumble across it. Yeah, what'd you think? I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't either until I saw the new one. I mean, they had to persuade me why. It had a lot to do with the archaic programming that our old one was done with that was getting so outdated that it wasn't going to work right anymore. So then it was like, okay, so I guess functionally it has to be updated. But um, once I saw the new one, I realized how much better it is than, than the old. So it was, it was really neat to see. Um, by the way, I'm not one given to change. So when somebody says we need to update, I'm like, why? Can't we go another 20 years, you know, <laughs> with it the way it is? Um, <clears throat> I won't bore you with stories about my difficulty in change tonight, but if ever you uh, want to get bored with them, just let me know. Um, we, we don't require 100% agreement with our statement of faith for people to be members. Uh, we, we do ask that, that, obviously, on the essential aspects of Christian faith that we agree, the, the Trinity and those kinds of things, uh, but we don't require 100% agreement with everything in it, but... With the, the overall, we, we, we would certainly like a vast majority of agreement. And where there is disagreement, that we at least dialogue through what those are and understand each other on those minor points of... I mean, the truth is, I might not in five years agree with everything in it. So we might make adjustments. There's even in our, uh, in our church polity a way by which we can make changes to the statement of faith as a church to discuss them and come through them. Because over the years, our, our doctrine has adjusted slightly as we've gone from... And, and, and so it's, it's, that's good, okay? We're not looking for 100% agreement, but it's important that everybody who is a member knows what it is we believe. 
And, and we can at least know that we're in, in vast majority of agreement on those things. Um, relational commitments. Um, those, now, that is in your, the envelope that you received. And the relational commitments really describe how it is that we handle some of the more unusual or difficult aspects of church life. Um, we live in a fallen world. And, and we can't have a Pollyanna view of life, unfortunately. And so those address some of the more complicated things. You know, what about marriage and divorce? What about uh, lawsuits? What, 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 what happens if uh, somebody were to find out about child abuse or whatever? I mean, those kinds of things are delineated in there, as horrible as it is to even think about a lot of these things. We live in a world where it's important that we, we, we communicate clearly what our steps are, what we've done, how we function in those kinds of situations. What about disciplining a church elder or a member of the body? How, how does that work if somebody isn't? I mean, I, I went through a brief sketch earlier, but man, there's a lot more involved than just that, right? So how is that handled? What if a pastor is doing something wrong? What do we do about that? And so those kinds of things are delineated there um, and, and, and are very helpful. As well, um, I believe this will be on Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast Connect. Monday I'll take speech lessons. Um, and, and that will be our, our um, church constitution and bylaws, which really describes the, the bigger how do we function as a church. And you're, you'll be able to access those and read those. I think you'll find that actually a, an encouraging document. It describes more the particulars of how we function uh, as a church. But the relational commitments are, are important. That we say, yeah, we agree to, to function and that, these, that this is how things will be handled. As far as responsibilities, I've, I've listed here five basic responsibilities of membership. Um, the, 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 what does it mean to be a member? Well, one is simply, it sounds kind of simple, but it's to attend regularly. If we, if we don't attend, we can't be edified, and the, the pastors can't get to know us in a way that meaningfully informs their shepherding. Uh, it involves worship and song together, worship in the hearing of the gospel proclaimed together, it, involves partaking of the Lord's table together. So regular attendance. Um, giving regularly. And I use the word regularly. You, you know, attend regularly. I, it's not like we're keeping track of every week and, oh, you missed a week. It's regular. It's, it's a pretty understandable word, right? Regular. Uh, giving regularly. If we don't give, well, the pastors won't be free to devote themselves to preaching and teaching. And the Mission outside of our church, both locally and extra-locally, uh, will cease to advance. And the lights eventually, if nobody's giving, would be turned off. And, you know, in other words, giving's an important part of what we do. We're, we're in this together. Uh, if we only allow others to support these works, then we're not in it together. Okay? I had, I had somebody ask me recently, well, you know, what if I, what if, you know, uh, because of their particular situation, single mom, difficult situation, what if I can't give faithfully all the time. Would I not be allowed to be a member? And I said, well, we've never stopped anybody from being a member because of those kinds of difficult situations. I mean, I think of the widow's might, right? But I think what, what, what I explained to her and what I would want to explain to anybody is, is, is the mercy of God to us and being a part of a community of which we're, we're, you know, people are giving. Uh, for those that have little, sure, they may be giving little, but... Part of their being a part of that community is that others who have more than enough, there's something there to help them in that situation. And so your giving actually helps those who don't have enough as well. And that's part of what it means to be a part of a community. 
Um, and as I've often said, you would never think uh, to go to, you know, maybe on Sunday after church to go down to a restaurant. What's your favorite restaurant? Where do you want to go to eat? What's that? Chipotle. So who would think to go to Chipotle and eat but pay down the street at McDonald's or at Wendy's or at Taco Bell? And that would be silly, right? But people do that at church all the time. They go, they attend, they get the benefits. They really enjoy the teaching, the this, the that, the other. They don't pay for any of it. They spend their money elsewhere. And so I would just suggest that being a part of being a member, it's, it's important that we, we give regularly. Um, pray regularly. That's just based on what prayer is and who we are. We're a community of faith, and we need to lift one another up in prayer. I could spend hours on that, but I won't. Um, attend family meetings particularly. Um, and when I say particularly, I mean, don't think that, oh, that's not Sunday morning, it's not important. We don't have family meetings that often, but when we have them, and by that, family meetings simply mean membership meetings, same thing, use those words interchangeably. Um, <clears throat> they're important because they, they really are pivotal in our life as a local church. And so your contribution in, in both your attendance and your input are, are very important. Um, we, members uh, participate in key aspects of church life. So, for instance, affirming elders and deacons, recommending el- elders and deacons, uh, accepting or removing members, just as an example, um, disciplining um, elders, etc. So these are all part of what that is, and there's other things involved, but you know, doctrinal issues that would be involved. It's vital that, that members take responsibility for the church being a faithful gospel witness for this generation and the next, and not just leave that in the hands of everybody else. And then the, the fifth basic responsibility uh, has to do with discipling one another. Instruct and admonish one another. In Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. That's a responsibility of a member. Let's let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and let's engage one another with the gospel. Um, that's, that's a vital part of who we are and what we're about. And, and uh, so... Those are just some, some basic responsibilities of members. Um, is this yours? Can I borrow it for just a moment? So I'm going to just take a moment, and then we'll just open it up for some dialogue. Um, <clears throat> membership profile. I wonder, what's that? Well, that's real simply, if you're to say to yourself, you know, I'm, I want to be a member, um, we'll fill this out and you just turn it in either at the office or to somebody, one of the pastors, one of the staff, administration, whatever, mail it in, however you get it there. Um, and then uh, usually Denise or uh, LaDonna will schedule a time with one of the pastors to sit down and, and do what we call a membership interview. It's just an opportunity to get to know you better, um, for us to interact, for you to ask any questions you might have, for us to, to help clarify anything like that. Um, and, and, and to walk through that membership interview. So that's the process, and that's, so that's what this is. Um, I think it's self-explanatory, but if you ever have any questions, don't hesitate to ask those. Um, this document um, state, is the relational commitments I referred to, Statement on Peacemaking and Reconciliation. How do we handle conflict? Um, the next one, Statement on Biblical Counseling. It's important that you understand what we do in terms of biblical counseling and, and how that works. A statement on confidentiality, okay, how we handle confidential information and so forth. It's important that you're aware of those things. Statement on dis- discipline and restoration in church life. 
And uh, that one also includes issues related to elders and so forth. Okay? A statement on preserving marriages, um, <clears throat> which kind of communicates our stance on marriage and, and some of the things we do in that regard. And then a statement on protecting our children. So those are all there. Um, you know, in most of these cases, we probably never have to use some of these things, but the reality is, is you run into those things. So it's important that we all read them, understand them, and say, yeah, yeah, when, when, I, when I'm becoming a member, you know, when I'm saying I want to be a member, I, I've read these and said, yeah, I, I agree to, to, to live by these guidelines. And if there's any questions about any of them, again, don't hesitate to ask. Uh, a lot of time and care has been put into formulating these so that people can understand how we function, and that we have guidelines, because you don't want to have to create documents like this in the middle of a storm. <laughs> you want to do it well in advance of any storms that arise, so that you, you have that as a tool. And then this document is just a simple, where can I serve for people that are like, you know, what are some of the areas that I can serve in? And certainly, uh, way beyond this, um, there are things, and obviously in your community group, if you're not in one now, you find you get in a community group, there's all sorts of ways to serve. They're usually you know, kind of spontaneous, and somebody has a need, and you jump in and serve, but these are some of the more formal ways of getting involved in serving, but they're all good ways to get involved in serving. Well, I've thrown a lot at you in about 40 minutes, and so what I want to do now, you know, I'll give you a second to catch your breath and gather your thoughts, but uh, just open it up for questions, whether it's about the lesson on membership and the things we talked about there, uh, whether it's about any of those documents, whether it's about anything quasi-related that you have a question about, or any question from the last several weeks that you still would have that you'd uh, maybe love to hear addressed. So any of that you'd like to ask questions about, please feel free to ask that. Well, if they can't answer them, unfortunately, no, I don't know. <laughs> so... Any, any thoughts, any questions? Is, is, the, is the whole idea of membership foreign to you? Uh, is it something you've had before, you're familiar with? Um, any new thoughts, old thoughts, uncomfortable thoughts? Uh, my brother was. I let him do that. <laughs> I, I, um, <clears throat> he gets paid for his arguments. I, I don't. Um, but, but it, yeah, he, he's, um, he, he was. But... Um, yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's you know I'm not I'm not here to persuade people that they should absolutely have membership in every church that's formalized. That's not my point. My my point is is that I, I think it's at least one way to walk out the biblical commands and try to live and function within what we see in the New Testament. Um, and 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 I would add to it this as a pastor, just from my perspective. Um, <clears throat> It would be really difficult to try to f walk out any form of church discipline. And by the way, church discipline is difficult to walk out no matter how good your membership roles are. I'll just tell you that right out. It's the most difficult part of being a pastor is walking through those things. But add to that the difficulty of trying to sort out who you're responsible for and who you're not responsible for. If you don't have some form of membership, you don't even know where to start. What do I do with them? I don't know. I mean, are they part of that? You know, you, if you don't have some line for that, you just added to the difficulty. So, um, anyway, so from that standpoint, um, and besides that, who would want to be a part of a, ch of a church where the pastor wasn't sure if he was going to be a member? Well, I don't know, I might come this Sunday, might not the next, I don't really know. Are you going to preach this week? I don't know, I'll let you know, 
When? Well, if I'm there on Sunday, I'll preach. I mean, you know, I mean, nobody wants a pastor with that kind of commitment, right? But plenty of people think the pastor should live with everybody else with that kind of commitment. Um, So, you know. um, Other questions, thoughts, comments from earlier? Travis is consulting with his wife. Do we have a good question here? How do we know? Right, right. Um, yeah, you have to do that. That's that. That's usually depends on what's going on in the community legally that that involves. Right. Um, the uh, uh, with a group this size, it doesn't take generally long at all. Uh, we've had larger groups go through where you have like 20 or 30 people in a class and uh, they all wait until, you know, you say you're going to have a new member Sunday and then 10 of them sign up like a week out and go, can we, you know, it's like, yeah, we, we've got nothing else on the calendar. Um, so yeah, we'll get them on. No, um, <clears throat> but generally, uh, depending on what else might be going on in the life of the church, if somebody turns in um, the um, membership, um, whatever it's called, application for back, lack of a better word, it has another name on it, but... Um, if you turn that in, sometime within two to three weeks, somebody's going to contact you and schedule a time to get in, and um, and it could be quicker, but shouldn't be any longer. Um, if, if it is, you might call and say, did that get lost? <laughs> Somewhere between where I gave it to somebody and it got to the office. Um, <clears throat> but um, no, it, it, generally about that. And um, then just uh, depending on schedule. You know, some people's schedules, it might take a month to get them a time because their schedule, our schedule, it becomes difficult. But most of the time, it's pretty quick. Yeah, we generally do a spring and a fall class. Um, at one time, we had enough folks coming at one time. We, we just tried, we did three. We did one through the summer, and, and it worked, but then we found that by the fall, that you, know, you didn't have that many signing up for the fall class. We just decided, let's just do it twice a year for the time being. It seems to be working. Um, the spring class is usually smaller because the fall class is closer in proximity, you know, uh, to it. So. Other thoughts, questions? These are a quiet bunch tonight. Anything about the, the relational commitments in there? How many of you have seen our statement of faith, which is on the website? I don't know if you've gone there and visited. Jane, others must. Okay. Is that helpful? You find that helpful? Um, good. Now, it's interesting, I find. We, we get a different kind of visitor today than churches got even 10 years ago, certainly 15 years ago. The average person who comes in the church today has been to our website, has at least read things like the Statement of Faith or other parts of it that kind of give them an idea of what we're about. And I'd say half of them have listened to a sermon or two before they show up to decide if they want to come. And so when people visit, you're really dealing with a whole different kind. And on Easter, that's different because you have guests who come because it's Easter and family was gone or whatever. But as a general rule of thumb, it's a whole different beast. And it's cool. It's really neat to see how that works. And folks that visit from out of town, we have some folks that come every year for a vacation. 
And then, so what they do is, like two, three weeks before they arrive, they start listening to whatever series we're in, so that when they get here and they come, they'll be right in the middle of that series with us. And then guys like, yeah, it's just interesting how people think and do church these days, even when they're traveling or whatever. Uh, that's, that's changed because of that crazy thing we call the Internet. So, thank you, Al Gore, for the Internet. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <clears throat> other thoughts, questions? Anything about church leadership that Todd didn't cover effectively? No, he's gone. I was hoping he'd maybe hear that, but I forgot he left, I think. Anything else? Um, Okay. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time, the commitment that these folks have have made to be a part of these classes. Um, I pray that we've served them well. In Jesus' name, amen.